0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game.
2: All right. You're good to go whenever I, I'm going to leave that that little beatboxing segment in there to start this <laughs> off. Um, welcome back to another episode of Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pictureless podcast highlighting the weird, funny and bizarre elements of baseball that make America's pastime truly special. I'm once again, Noah Scott, and am joined by my pulchritudinous co-host, Brandon Riddle. Uh, And we're here once again to swap some some good stories and uh, talk some absurd baseball and absurd baseball is really what we have on tap today, don't we? Uh,
3: Absurd baseball and absurd words. There's no way you didn't look that up (laughs)
2: beforehand and figure out how to say that because I've never seen that word before. So funny enough, like I've said it before on the show, like I I do consider myself a, a big like word nerd. Um, I, I, had actually learned that word, uh, freshman year of college when my friend tried to use it as like a pickup line, um, or, or, well, it, not a pickup That's line. That's a whole nother story. He was already dating, dating his girlfriend at the time, but he, he tried to, uh, type out pulchritudinous because it essentially means like, you know, beautiful, right? Uh, and we, spent, we spent a good 15 minutes trying to figure out how to spell pulchritudinous, uh, and it Goodness. was, inc- for yeah, for those of you who are wondering, it's P-U-L-C-H-R-I-T-U-D-I-N-O-U-S. And I know minutes.
3: everyone is wondering just that. Thank you, Noah.
2: Yes, thank you. That, that's <laughs> the content they come here for. It's, 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 it's definitely not the baseball part. Uh, but in relation to the baseball part, what are we talking about today? So we
3: do have some baseball topics that are indeed... Polkritininius
2: close enough. Nailed
3: it. We're gonna lead off with a fun name, the archaeology of the high five. Then we'll dive back into a pickle jar and then wrap it up with the saga of Chicken Hawks, the original Ricky.
2: (laughs) You know, I for a second I I, I was so when I I saw in the notes you put the original Ricky, it took me way too long to figure out you're talking about Ricky Henderson. Uh, Ricky's disappointed. well, well. First of all, I thought I thought Ricky, and then I thought Ricky Bobby. But um, so I oh, don't know. I'm clearly not in the zone right oh, now. Oh
3: man, cause <laughs> I'm a baseball fan. All right, let's let's see how this yeah. goes. <laughs>
2: all right, okay. Well, you can test it with this. Uh, looks like you've got a trivia question.
3: Linda. I do. So uh, this last season, Buster Posey uh, became a two-time winner of the Comeback Player of the Year award. Uh, but he wasn't the first two-time winner of that. So who was the first person to win that award twice?
2: So this is wildly outside of my my trivia comfort zone because this is honestly just not an award that I, I pay a whole lot of attention to, and I should I should because it sure. is it is a my good Good award. stories yeah um, good stories but okay you uh, so,
3: you you one hundred percent know them
2: okay okay so I'm gonna assume it's 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 like a it's, it's modern very modern era okay yes in the
3: last I'll say he won the first award in 2010
2: oh wow. It's gonna make it even more embarrassing when I when I blank on this. Not not really. Um, it's
3: it's, okay, it's kind of a name. They go. Oh, that's right. I remember him. He was great.
2: I just I'm gonna throw this out there, and it's I'm very much expecting to be incorrect. I I'm just because I, I don't think the the name I have in my head. I don't even know. I don't think he's actually even won one. Uh oh. Wait. Actually, no. He only played in one. <laughs> I, well well, okay so like the name that just popped into my head as i was talking about the other one was josh hamilton but i don't think he ever played for an nl team yeah so um, in, in
3: the notes as well i didn't mention this but uh they they won this award in both leagues so nl and yeah, al
2: yeah um so i don't know i'm just gonna throw a random name out there that is recognizable uh did prince fielder ever even win one
3: he not to my knowledge um i actually don't know if he won any uh, yeah, back I, of the years.
2: That was a, a complete shot in the dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, but who, who I, I who will say got? then the the what, winner what teams. What teams were they on? Actually, Pittsburgh
3: was in 2013, okay. and Minnesota was 2010.
2: Uh Pittsburgh had me thinking like maybe like Jose Bautista. But uh, then Minnesota, yeah, the
3: Minnesota, Minnesota came Minnesota,
2: in, in. Minnesota. Uh, uh, I don't know what 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 you got,
3: Francisco Liriano.
2: Ah, yeah, I wouldn't have gotten that in a million. Welcome years. to trivia. <laughs> <laughs> that was that's a good one. I, I yeah, I thought that, that was kind of fun. A good, a good brain uh, teaser, tickler. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're-
3: if you if you oh. could, because you know we had a fun time, I would give you a high five from distance right now.
2: Ah, yes, you know uh, that's 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 a good segue. Hey, um, so as you mentioned at the uh, in our, our quick rundown, we're going to be talking about the archaeol. Is I feel like archaeology is not the right word. Like like the origin. Archaeology is like like digging up like historic claims like historic like it's it's like yeah i mean maybe it, 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 in the <laughs> sense that we're, we're digging up old history yeah what, why not sure uh but yeah we are going to be talking about one of baseball's in in my opinion one of the like more out there stories which is saying something because on this podcast we talk about a, 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 quite a few of those kinds of stories uh but yeah where did the high five come from Uh, It is one of the world's most sacred gestures uh, and many children today learn how to high five before they can walk or talk, right? Like, I don't know. I I high five babies.
3: Yeah. High five, Um, buddy. And it's cute when they do them
2: and dogs. Yeah. Uh, It's and it's just so it it really hurts when they, you know, they they leave you hanging. But uh, where did it come (laughs) from now? This is really interesting because I always assumed the high five was like, as old as mankind itself. Like I just thought it was like one of those ancient gestures that came right (laughs) after like, you know, figuring out fire.
3: Like Alexander, the great is high fiving his generals with taking over another city.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Sick dude. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's actually a very recent thing, right? It's actually only been in the dictionary since 1980 and only as a verb since 1981. And with any urban legend, there are several conflicting origin stories. Uh, so it's very hard to separate fact from fiction. But I feel like that's really that little gray area is kind of where we operate here on the show, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> um, so some stories trace the high five back to a player uh, named Lamont Sleets, who actually played basketball for Murray State in the early 1980s. Uh, however, i doing some research that ended up being a hoax created by oh. a pair of comedians uh magic johnson
3: wait, had, wait, wait. Now, I, now i want to know what the bit was these comedians had that had to create a high five so, for lamont sleets okay, like,
2: okay. what was so, the bit they had <laughs> so well i don't know if it, it I'll, I'll give you like the the cover story they had for it was that this this guy lamont sleets right he was you know growing up and his father was in the military and his uh his war buddies would come over you know his i his you know, regiment or whatever. Yep, sure. Um, They would come over and they were named like the, you know, they called themselves like the five or something. Right. And so their little, like, you know, tall tale that they wove was that, you know, Lamont sleets as a kid, when these, these war buddies would come over, he didn't know their name. So he would just say, hi five because they were called really? the five and, you know, they, you know, hit him in the hand, right. Everyone knows what a high five is, I hope. Uh, And then he took that, you know, Uh, that gesture to college uh, and, and played basketball. And so then it spread. Uh, But it, apparently it was actually, it was all ruse created by a a pair of comedians who just picked a random name from, from the college basketball roster. And it ended up being Lamont sleets.
3: Well, that's less fun.
2: (laughs) I agree. I agree. I think it's funny, Um, but it is interesting because magic Johnson uh, actually claimed that he did it himself while playing for Michigan when he was in college. Uh, And there were other stories that actually tracked it back to women's volleyball in the 1960s. Uh, But what I find is interesting is that of all these stories, like most of them stem from college basketball teams. So one of the more credible stories actually surmised that the high five gesture was linked to the University of Louisville basketball team uh, and that the high five actually came out of a team practice way back in 1978. Now, the Louisville Cardinals of the late 70s were a very tall team, even for basketball standards. Uh, and this is a great nickname because we're oh all got great it. nicknames here. Uh, they were called the Doctors of Dunk, which... Dang! That's That's, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, so, allegedly, uh, this origin goes... Uh, the forward, Wiley Brown, went to congratulate his teammate, Derek Smith, with a classic low five during practice. Uh, when Smith uh, corrected him, he said, no, we're we're doing it up high.
3: Uh, now, now, that brings up another question. Was the low five a thing before the high five?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll get to that in, in, oh, my goodness. in just a second. Uh, but yeah, so he says, no, we do. Let's do it up high. And so when they, you know, people tracked uh, Wiley Brown down uh, years later and he said, yeah, you know, it, it's a good point. I thought, why are we staying down low? You know, we jump high. We're a very vertically you know, a very vertically oriented team, uh, which it, it tracks. Right. It, it sure, makes yeah. sense. Uh, and yeah, so that was actually uh, what I found interesting was the low five preceded the high five. That is not what I would have assumed because I always <laughs> learned, you know, you do the whole high, you know, up high, down low, and then, you know, too slow, right? But it, it actually turns out that the low 5 has been around since the 1920s. Uh, and it was actually considered like an underground symbol of solidarity among black Americans. Uh, you know, people would say, give me some skin. And it was like, you know, a, a like a identify, I don't know, like a- This a, a is beautiful. fascinating. It really, I love it this. It really is. Yeah. And it's, I just- it's just so weird to me that the low five came before the high five. I don't know why it's weird. I I. I, guess I mean, high like-
3: five is more commonly used today. So we just assumed it would be the first one and downloads like an accessory.
2: But I, I guess, guess. Yeah. 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 But um, so so that's that's considered to be one of the more credible origin stories was hmm. was that Louisville Cardinals team. But of course, this is a baseball podcast. And of course, baseball has its own theory as to the high fives origin. Uh, so, in fact, baseball's legend actually leads all the way back to October 2nd, 1977, which predates the Louisville Cardinals story by <laughs> around a year. But it's interesting because all these stories really come out of the same, like, three-year period.
3: Yeah. You know, I guess that's when people realized that we should start aiming high instead of low. That's, I guess, what yeah. happened.
2: I, honestly, I should have gone around and, and asked some uh, some of the older people I know, and just like, do you remember high fives before 1980? Oh, um, like, was weird. that a thing? I should have asked my dad. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, not you know, would not say anything. But um, so anyway, uh, so like I said, October second, nineteen seventy-seven. It's the last day of the seventy-seven season, and of course, it's a story about the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mm. Boo, tomato tomato uh <laughs> <laughs> uh so uh the dodgers were uh in a fairly con- you know they're they're locked in a battle with the houston astros uh who played in the national league during this time uh and <laughs> funny enough uh houston's future manager dusty baker uh actually teed off on the astros pitcher for the day uh, J.R. richard nice. and uh collected his 30th home run of the season now, why is this notable? It's the last day of the season. Well, I'll tell you, it was significant because it actually made the Dodgers the first MLB team in history uh, to have four players with 30 or more home runs. Uh, that would be Ron Say, uh, Steve Garvey and Reggie Smith. Now, I, I don't like it's kind of wild that it took until 1977 for a team to have three er, four guys to clear 30 home runs. When you think about like the murderers <laughs> row teams. Yeah,
3: but is this a, this a different, different style era, over there yeah era.
2: you're right you're right uh so dusty rounds the the bases he touches home uh, and he's met by his teammate rookie glenn burke who watched the play unfold from the on deck circle now burke extends his arm high in the sky and baker connects forever altering the course of human history
3: you, you think in that moment there's like the chariots of fire theme song in the background as they oh, touch 100%. hands for the first time
2: yep it was like slow motion there was lightning <laughs> uh, everyone was shocked uh, but then, uh, so, so actually Dusty remembers this moment and he says, you know, his hand was up in the air and he was arching way back. So I just kind of reached up and I hit his hand because it, it seemed like the thing to do. Sure. You know, it was that innate human sense of, you know, we didn't have an expression for the high five yet physically, but it was in his soul.
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's written in our DNA.
2: Right. Uh, but then Glenn Burke steps up to the plate to follows him. Uh, it's follow Baker and he, it's a home run of his own. So then Burke rounds the bases and, you know, Dusty Baker returns the gesture and, you know, the 46,000 Dodgers fans in attendance roared in celebration. Uh, And thus the high five was born and it quickly spread throughout the league. Uh, However, the moment was not televised and no footage of the event exists. Hmm. So before we get into the second part of this this segment, I'm going to ask you, do you believe that it's possible that like, do you think that this is? Like, out of the the stories we listed here, which one do you think has the most credibility? Like, do you believe any of them?
3: You know, I've heard the Dusty Baker story so many times. It's, like, ingrained my mind already as being fact, but, of course, not having any actual evidence for it. You know, the doctors of Dunk, just by their name alone, may have the upper hand here. (laughs) the upper (laughs) hand.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so, boo.
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm up for either two of those. Like I, I love the <laughs> Dusty Baker story. It just yeah. kind of makes sense. But I haven't heard the other ones before. But yeah, it had I to come from somewhere.
2: And I, I also think it's, it's worth you know, noting that it is entirely likely that it was invented by multiple people, right? You know, how many... How many people probably high fived on, you know, sandlots or you know after like high school football games, right? And like I don't know, like I feel like it's such a common, like a universal gesture,
3: right? But then, kind of like s- a lot of places. But then, like you said, everyone's thinking within this three-year period is where it originated sure. from. So had it been more common, it would have been just like the low five in the twenties. People would have already known about it. But there was I, a I moment.
2: Th- I just think it's so weird to claim ownership over a high five like like dusty baker's like yeah i invented it like and it's it's not like something that was invented you know in the 1800s it's like 1977 (laughs) like right you know uh, there there you could list a whole bunch of people that are older than the high five which is just wild to me um but yeah so so no footage exists we don't know for sure uh i like to i i I, I'm gonna choose to believe it because it's a good story, and I feel like sometimes we let the truth get in the way of a good story a little too often. You know, and that's it's it's, it's a it's a myth. It's a baseball legend. That's what we're about here. Uh, you know, if if Boots is leading marching bands down the street, I don't see why why this can't be factual. All right, that's fair.
3: That's you know, totally like, fair.
2: It's just so interesting that it's such a like a cultural event to me. <laughs> you know, uh, and just to come from like a Dodger game, I don't know. Uh,
3: uh, one last thing I guess if it did happen there but also in other places this would be the most visible location for it to occur with tens of thousands of people around it so I I guess there's some claim there
2: yeah and it it, it did become like a a celebration of the team in the the late 70s and in the 80s you know they would I mean it's funny to say high five belonged to a team but you know that was like a very (laughs) you know like that was a Dodger thing at at the time Uh, but yeah so a a little just a little more on that so uh i mentioned glenn burke uh you know as is really like the inventor of the high five in this in this origin story and he was a very very important player for reasons beyond obviously the high five which is a very cool legacy to have i think uh and so this this all had this happened during his rookie season. He's 24 years old. Mm-hmm. And at the time he's, you know, he's a rookie, he's not very accomplished, but he showed a lot of promise as a young player and was actually even compared to like a young Willie Mays, uh, which I think is is that's a lot of pressure to put on anyone. Anyone. But you don't do that for no reason, right? Like he was he was very, you know, talented and he showed a lot of a lot of well a lot of potential. Uh, and he was actually known as like one of the like the hearts of the Dodgers clubhouse at this time. He was, you know, remembered as being very charismatic, just a very like all right, joyous and exuberant personality in the clubhouse. Like the
3: kind club. of guy that would create the high five it makes sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, what's really interesting is that one of his very early friends actually said before the high five happened. Uh, he said that you know he could actually high five you without necessarily going through the motion with his hand because that was kind of like the, the feeling that he kind of instilled in people. All right, yeah, I got gotcha. you. I am in. You know, which which kind of speaks to to Dusty Baker's quote where it was like, yeah, it just seemed like the the thing to do in the moment. And that was yeah. where the energy was at. So Glenn Burke was was really loved by a lot of his fellow teammates in the clubhouse. Uh, he would do like impressions. Uh, he would crack a bunch of jokes. Uh, but the thing was, uh, you know, Glenn Burke he was gay. And so a handful of his close friends allegedly knew, uh, and it was something of an open secret during his time in baseball with Burke himself saying that, you know, by 1978, I think everybody knew Uh, following his retirement. He did officially come out as gay, Mm. but during his time with the Dodgers, uh, he became very close with manager Tommy Lasorda's son, uh, Tommy Jr.
3: And the rabbit hole begins
2: and the rabbit hole begins Uh, He became very close with his son, Tommy Jr., also known as Spunky. Uh, Now, Spunky Lasorda was also gay, and the two became very good friends. Uh, In his memoir, Burke left their relationship ambiguous, uh, though his sister said that, you know, they're just friends. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, Tommy Sr. didn't like how close they were growing, uh, and Tommy himself was in denial that his son was gay, uh, you know, up up until uh, after Spunky's death. Now, at the time, some of the Dodgers executives Also tried to squash the rumors that Glenn Burke was gay Uh, just because, you know, remember that it it was 1977 different
3: time. Yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah. And it's 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 really hard to read this stuff. Uh, And so Glenn actually revealed in his memoir that the Dodgers uh, vice president, Al Campanis, actually offered him seventy five thousand dollars to get married. Now Burke said no, and this is a you know pretty pretty great mm-hmm. quote, and he says, "Oh, I, I guess you mean to a woman, right?" Kind of like as a retort. And so around this time, his relationship with uh, Tommy Senior uh, pretty much soured, right? And before when he was you know enjoying his his personality and and you know the fun you know impressions and stuff he do in the clubhouse, uh, you know he kind of turned his back. On, on Glenn Burke, more or less, according to those close to him, mm-hmm. uh, which was really sad to read because uh, Glenn's sister actually said that he looked up to Tommy in a lot of ways as is, is like this father figure. Oh, that hurts. That hurts. Oh, definitely. It's really, really sad. So it ends up that Burke gets traded uh, about a year after, less than a year after he creates the high five uh, and he gets traded to the Oakland Athletics for a veteran player, Billy North, who is widely considered to be. This kind of past his prime, uh, and it like you don't really trade a promising Ooh. young player that's likened to Willie Mays for well, past his prime outfielder, right? Like it just strategically doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, and so now Glenn Burke goes to play for the A's, and he plays for manager Billy Martin. Which if you know anything about Billy Martin, you know he was kind of a piece of sh- well, not a great dude, right? Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. pretty like. Yeah, he's anyway, you can you can do your own research about all of the crazy antics from his wife. But uh, so I guess Billy Martin introduced uh, Glenn Burke originally to the clubhouse using a homophobic slur, uh, which is horrible. (sighs) And at the time of the trade, uh, Dodgers players were actually a few of them were seen like crying at their lockers in the clubhouse when the news broke and that's just you know because the clubhouse it it lost its heart right that's twisting
3: the knife ouch
2: yeah Yeah. and it's it's just so heartbreaking to read that this player was so loved by his teammates you know that when he was traded that they just like they you know it just ripped a hole out of the team right Mm -hmm. uh and so burke plays for for oakland for a little while uh he ends up hurting his knee in spring training and then essentially gets blackballed by billy martin uh, who sends him down to the minors. And <laughs> Martin actually tried to trade Glenn Burke, allegedly, and ended up trading the wrong player because he he got them confused.
3: Oh, which is well, just, I'm sure that says a couple things there.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it says a lot about the kind of person Billy Martin was, yeah. and the kind of manager he was. Uh, and then very sadly, uh, Glenn Burke retired after just four, four seasons in the majors. Uh, and he said, you know, prejudice drove me out of baseball sooner than, than I, I should have been, but I wasn't changing, which he like the, the amount of just strength Glenn Burke yeah. had to have like insurmountable
3: in the seventies. That's insane.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and he retired at twenty seven. Uh, unfortunately Burke fell on really hard times in the years that followed uh, was in and in and out of housing uh, and he lost a lot of his athletic ability uh, from you know a car accident that ended up crushing his his leg and and uh, yeah uh, he ended up sadly dying from complications uh, from AIDS in 1995 uh, which is really just a, a, a tragic end to, to his story but uh, I, I did in researching this I found a really a really important quote, I think, from from Glenn Burke that uh, he gave People Magazine in 1994, the year before he passed, that said that his mission as a gay ball player was to break a stereotype, and that he thought it worked. Which is, I'm I'm glad that that's how he felt.
3: Just just high five to that guy. Just high five.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, and what's really really kind of poignant was the high five. And Glenn Burke's story was was kind of picked up a little bit uh, by a couple gay communities. And the high five kind of became like a symbol of two men with their hands in the air together, which I think is...
3: That makes me happy.
2: Right? Like, that's... Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, that is the story of the high five uh, and a a brief uh, story about Glenn Burke and the very, very important person and ball player that he was.
3: Yeah, uh, the high five story is the only reason why I knew who Glenn Burke was, but this just gives it so much more depth. Yeah, he's... That was like,
2: good. He was a, a remarkable, like just just remarkable just as a person, Yeah, Like a great ball player, too. Uh, and it's tragic that that's how his story ended. But he also he was really important to a lot of gay, gay athletes out there. And, you know, like he opened a lot of doors, too. Uh, so, you know, that's that's Glenn Burke. More people should be talking about him. Yeah, that was a great story. Thank you. Uh, we will be right back uh, after a word from our sponsors. All right, it's time Ooh. to pop open the pickle jar.
3: Yeah, so let's, get, let's get back to the pickle jar now. <laughs> um, so for those of you who may not remember, the pickle jar is, of course, a segment where we talk about some uh, lexicon from baseball history. You know, there's a lot of weird words we use, uh, short hopper, on deck, muffinism. And uh, this week, it's classic Muffinism. This week, the pickle jar is Doorkeeper.
2: I've never heard this before.
3: Mm -hmm. I had not heard it before today either. So don't worry. But I kept reading it over and over today and Doorkeeper kept popping up. So I, I wanted to know if you had an idea what Doorkeeper meant.
2: This is fun because I really like it's it's and I don't. I never want to say this and be like, "Oh, you know, I know a lot about it." But like, it's it's kind of rare for me to to hear like a baseball slang term and not have like any clues to what it means. And that's kind of the situation I'm in here. Like, I think catbird seat was the other one. Where yeah, like, cat I was like, "Catbird seat." Heard yeah, in my life. Uh, doorkeeper. I'm okay. So I'll, I'll give you two theories. The first one is like when. uh you know, I'm thinking like, like kind of like gatekeeper doorman ish type deal. Like when mm-hmm. a player, like a young player is trying to break into a position mm-hmm. and maybe they have like a, like a stalwart of the franchise, like a veteran kind of blocking their spot. So like, you know, just okay. off, off my head, you know, Cody Bellinger trying to, trying to break in when Adrian Gonzalez is manning first base, right?
3: Yeah, uh, that makes sense.
2: My more fun explanation is that the doorkeeper is literally the guy that just opens up the bullpen door when they call in a pitching change (laughs) i think that'd be a pretty sweet love it love it uh yeah what what, what's it mean (laughs)
3: so as near as i can tell doorkeeper is a phrase in 1920s for first baseman so first baseman doorkeeper And I say nearest as I can tell, because as I was doing research, um, that phrase kept coming up, the doorkeeper of this team, the doorkeeper of that time, and the thing they all had in common was a first baseman. Um, I couldn't tell what order they hit in, so maybe it's like a cleanup hitter, the doorkeeper, the leadoff hitter, um, but as far as I can tell, first baseman. And maybe somebody else knows the actual meaning and the origin, let us know, but that's what I got.
2: That's like very... That's very old timey baseball to the point where it's just so it's it. It's weird, though, because it's, it's very subtle. Usually, yeah. usually like you, you get some some more wacky doorkeepers. Like, what do we think? Like, OK, first baseman, how do we think that could relate to playing first base? Like, you're, you're that's, kinda, that's like,
3: what I was trying to think as well. Like, you allow players to go to the other bases, so you're the doorkeeper of the bases. I'm I'm not sure, but it's. So I'll definitely do some research later on to try to find it. But I, I I tried to look into it. I couldn't find it anywhere except for the articles I found it in.
2: Well, maybe we can we can lead off the next uh, the next short hops and tall tales with a with a, a quick like addendum to it. Yeah, is that that so, is like it's
3: doorkeeper would be the doorkeeper to the next episode.
2: I mean, ooh, what do you <laughs> just real quick before we move on? What do you think it, it could like? Be I, I it would make sense in terms of first base.
3: Well, it would make sense if. You know, the people being called doorkeepers were like the leadoff hitter, so they were the doorkeepers to the lineup or something like that. Um, but yeah, I just think um, they're the first person that like a base runner will see as they're running, so the doorkeepers to the bases. That's all That's all I got.
2: Doorkeeper. Yeah, I I, I guess like, yeah, like my thought is is very similar in the sense that like, yeah, it keeps people off the bases. The doorman keeps them out. Hmm. Yeah. Where, where'd you? where sorry? Where'd where'd you find that again? Like where did there, you run into it?
3: There are a couple uh, pages from the 1924 and um, 1929, I believe, uh, where Doorkeeper uh, kept popping up in reference to a single player who we will talk about shortly. <laughs>
2: uh oh! Here we go. All right. Well. Uh, so you, you, you named him at the top of the podcast, and now I need to hear all about this guy with the probably this is like an 80 grade baseball nickname. Uh, So who, who we're talking about, of course, the saga of Chicken Hawks. Just I'm going to let that sink in.
3: Chicken Hawks.
2: Chicken Hawks. He, any relation to Tony?
3: Tony? Well, see, that's an S. There's, <laughs> there's an S in Chicken Hawks. Yeah, it threw me off a little bit,
2: too. I thought maybe okay. there's a connection I can make. Nope. <laughs> all right. All right. So what 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 are we about to learn about Chicken Hawks?
3: So Chicken Hawks, so next to that I call him the original Ricky. Of course being Ricky Henderson. Uh but that's just blasphemous cuz there's only one Ricky and that's Ricky. Uh but really quick, Noah, name like two things that Ricky is known for. Uh
2: stealing bases and uh <laughs> Now I'm thinking of a lot of things and speaking in the third person.
3: Okay. So yeah, those those were the two I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, so Ricky was fast and Ricky spoke only like Ricky. Um, so before we dive into Chicken there, let's give you a quick overview into Chicken's career. I'm just going to call him Chicken from now on. It's great because that's his name. Uh, so let's give you his career numbers. So he only played in the majors for two seasons, 1921 New York Yankees with Babe Ruth and 1925 Philadelphia Phillies. And through those two seasons, he hit three sixteen and had the third highest slugging on the twenty one Yankees. This guy could hit
2: on the on the twenty one Yankees. Now, pre Murderers' Love, excuse me, Murderers' Row, but no slouch. These, well, they
3: won the World Series, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they exactly. did all right. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that year Ruth hit fifty nine home runs. So yeah, they they were doing all right. Uh he this guy was blazing fast and he was thought to be quote the missing piece of the twenty-one Yankees outfield. So this guy could absolutely wow. play. He's a speedy runner, um, and it made sense to put him in center, right next to Ruth, who had issues in the field. <laughs> um, so how is that how does that make him the original Ricky? Has how's, how's that happen? Well, in 1922, um, he came in second place to an Olympic sprinter in the 50-yard dash, losing by one-tenth of a second. So he was Olympic speed at running. Um, he was a great fielder. He had the a, ability to hit for power, and he was a snappy dresser, a big personality, and Chicken Hawk, ladies and gentlemen, referred to himself in the third person. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, yes.
2: Did, did Every, he also like like just lift the bases out and, and just hold them above his hands when he when he stole?
3: You know, I'm gonna guess he probably didn't want to take out those bases in the 20s, because they probably just fall apart on you, I assume.
2: Fair, yeah. I'm
3: actually not sure what they were made of at that time. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Chicken Hawks referred to himself in the third person and had that big personality. And every single quote I found that he spoke, he spoke to himself in the third person. It was beautiful. (laughs) So to give you an idea of who this guy was and his personality, I found one nice big quote from a paper in 19, I think it was 23. The Californian was resplendent in a vivid yellow overcoat and a similar toggery which shed a decidedly Hollywood aroma about him. In his characteristic breezy style, who always insists upon referring to himself as Nelson L. Hawks of San Francisco, rattled off like artillery fire. The Notre Dame-Stanford game, the value of protecting on forward passes, the half-wittedness displayed in some leagues by official scores. What Carl Mays once said to Ty Cobb, the Wonders of California, the Dawes Reparation Plan, the Cabbages, King, Ships, Sealing Wax, and Gott Weiss Nietzsche. So he was apparently a talker, folks. <laughs> he was a talker and brought I, everyone in around him.
2: I just like to just so we don't gloss over it. I I, I, I I assumed he referred to himself as chicken, but no, he his name was Nelson L. Hawks, L. Hawks. He, he, he like even included the middle initial too. That's yes, he did. Hilarious. I'd call myself Chicken too, because that's way more. I mean, no offense to any Nelsons out there, I'm sure, but, I, but like that's that's a cool nickname,
3: yeah. And, and that's the thing about the nickname I cannot find anywhere where he got that name from, or he ever wants him calling himself as Chicken. It's just so, a mystery how he got that name, Chicken.
2: That's a great opportunity to speculate, and uh, I'm going to say that he probably. Ate an entire chicken before a baseball game, and it stuck.
3: That's solid. Uh, There is there is another player because Chicken Hawks is not the only baseball player named Chicken. Oh no, Um, there's another player named Chicken. I forgot his last name.
2: I feel like we've we've done an episode on the on another Chicken. And I think that's it's actually possible. how he got his nickname. Yeah,
3: he was eating chicken wings was for the game. Chicken before the game. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly how. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe this was the s- second chicken, because that chicken was in the 1880s. So this was about 40 years later, we get chicken part Can two. You
2: imagine, like today, if we had not one, but two guys nicknamed chicken? Like... <laughs> Nicknames just well, just, just so that, that 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 kind
3: of happens because you see, in the nineteen twenty one season, uh, you had Chicken Hawks, and also on the Yankees, you had uh, Chick Feuder. Okay, so you had Chicken and Chick in the lineup next to each other.
2: I thought you were going <laughs> to say that there was a guy named Hawks Chicken, but that's that's a close, Hawks Chicken. Close second, no. yep. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and okay, so he was obviously that bi- that big personality. Uh, they also said that he could create a breeze inside the cyclone that would make itself felt.
2: Just kind of a cool quote. What does that mean? Like that is a cool quote, but it also is entirely nonsensical.
3: I'm I'm assuming that if there's so much activity around him, he himself can still step in and be a force in that cyclone. I'm guessing.
2: Okay. Okay. No, that, that's that, that's
3: that the best sense. I got. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, another fun little story here. A chicken was once used as collateral when a team president lost $1,000 at a party and said if he didn't come up with the money, they can keep chicken.
2: You mean the player not a literal chicken yes
3: chicken Hawks
2: <laughs> wow that is I'd be honestly like I know that you know a lot that team owners uh largely view their players as, as assets before being yeah. people but that is really really like especially be, in the 20s that's really bad <laughs> like, I, you know I lost the money
3: probably while drunk but you know you can have a uh, chicken chicken there you you can keep it, it might not come up with the money wow
2: I'd be so <laughs> insulted
3: <laughs> I'm, sure he, I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was. Uh, so who exactly was Chicken Hawk then, as, as well as his big personality? Well, he's not really described in many papers. That one quote I had earlier, that was the only quote that described who Chicken was in the six years of papers wow. I went through. There's really nothing about him. And as a player, I'm kind of shocked he didn't stick around in the majors. Because again, in that 21 season, um, he was mo- mostly used as a pitch hitter. Um, I think it was 27 opportunities he was given, and got a 330 average as a pitch hitter. That's yeah, that's, that's incredible. Good. 330 average, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and he didn't once play in the World Series, even though he had this great asset of being a pitch hitter. And and when he started, he still hit like 287, but uh, never played in the World Series. And he was still young; he was 25 years old. And the main Yankees center fielder at the time, he was 30. Hasn't had the best career, so you think this would be an easy transition to bring Chicken in to become the everyday center fielder next year? No, he, he was used as essentially a player to be named later, and in the trade, and sent to the Vernon Tigers in the Coast League. The Vernon so, Tigers. So he got tough. traded, not even to the majors. This was like what? a trip essentially a Triple A team being traded to.
2: And and I'm looking at his his like you know, his year with the Yankees right now in baseball reference. And he had a, like, yeah, he hit 288, which is, mm-hmm. is good, but he had a, a 104 uh, weighted on on base plus slugging. Oh, yeah. Which is, is like, it's not amazing, but it's average. It's better than average. Yeah, And, and, for- and, and you would think at that time when batting average is so important, uh, maybe maybe his 288 was just considered too low because batting average was so important at the time. You know, our, our views have changed on that right. a little bit.
3: But like all, all, all the papers are calling him, you know, the missing piece, the next big thing in the outfield, yeah. they're hyping him up, and he can play defense great next to Ruth. So I, I'm just 25. flabbergasted. Why don't keep this slightly above average hitter, a great fielder, in the lineup?
2: I just and let him was, go. And I'll, yeah, and he's 25. Like that's yeah, that's, yeah, that's that is a, a mystifier. If you're listening to this and you have any information about <laughs> why the Yankees cut Chicken Hawk. Uh, please reach out to us because I would also like to know. Yeah,
3: I'm, I'm not sure. I thought maybe they had a great center of No, no, they really didn't. <laughs> so no, no idea why there. Uh, but anyway, so now he's back in the minors in 1922. He has a great first year. And then uh, Chicken was sent to St. Paul. Um, But Chicken would never play for St. Paul thanks to a ruling by baseball commissioner Kensha Mountain Landis. We get a Landis reference in here. So it seems that there was some funny business in that trade between the Yankees and the Vernon Tigers. And and Chicken was then playing, quote, undercover on a gentleman's agreement uh, for the Tigers. So the trade never went through the proper channels, and he was still technically under contract for the Yankees during that year in nineteen twenty two.
2: I just love that they they described it as being undercover. <laughs> and on
3: a gentleman's agreement. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. Uh, so so this comes to Landis's attention, and I guess this was fairly not uncommon, I guess you can say, during that time. Um, and he decried, decreed that Chicken was ineligible to play for the Yankees, the Tigers, or his new club in St. Paul due to this oversight. So it, it kind of seems unfair that he was punished for the Yankees not going through proper channels and is blackballed yeah. from three teams.
2: Yeah, that's, the, that's not really his fault. Yeah,
3: that's weird. Uh, But so he can play the 1923 season. He essentially becomes a free agent and he's picked up by Nashville Vols. Again, another essentially minor league triple-ish A team. And he clobbered the ball, man, that year. He hit 339 his first season, 336 the following year. He was hitting so well that year uh, that a uh, scout who was called an ivory hunter by papers. I'm sorry, uh, what?
2: (laughs) Yeah, they called
3: him an ivory hunter. I guess he was looking for treasure and he was just following... The elephant that was chicken.
2: Yeah, that's pretty sweet. We need to bring that
3: back. Agreed. Well, yes and no. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, maybe,
2: maybe. Yeah. It actually, ivory hunting, not cool. But like, you know, we, I like the colorful nicknames.
3: Yeah, the, the sentiment. Everything I like, I'd like yeah. the sentiment there. Uh, so they, cu- they, so they followed the club around specifically looking at chicken. Now, chicken was still fast. The year before, that's when he just barely lost to right. Chicken was still fast. Uh, that's when he just barely lost the Olympic splint- sprinter. Uh, but for some reason, the team in 23 moved into first base, and he just stuck in first base for the rest of his career there. Ah. He became the doorman. No idea why. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the year, he actually announced that he was intending to quit baseball for good and start his own trucking business in Oakland, California. Okay. Okay. Uh, makes sense. But- I mean,
2: he's kind of gotten a bad, bad rap.
3: Yeah, but he's hitting over 330. The scouts are checking him out. And, well, he didn't retire because he went on to play for the Philadelphia Phillies, like you heard earlier. Right. Uh, Now, the 25 Phillies, uh, they were not the uh, 1921 Yankees. They were bad. They were very, very (laughs) bad. Uh, They finished a half game above the Cubs, who were also very, very bad. (laughs) (laughs) But the story here is that the Phillies could take a chance on this kid. Well, he's 30 years old at this point now. But it worked.
2: Child. Yeah.
3: Over 100 games. They hit 322 on the season. Absolutely.
2: Nice.
3: He's going to stick in the majors. No. <laughs> he, the Phillies, yeah, the Phillies sold chicken huh, to the Newark Bears in December of that year. No idea why. He's just gone after hitting over 300, 320. <sighs> so now he's back in the minors, 31 years old. He's hitting 297, but he would never again make it to the majors. Uh, he would go on to play for the Reading Keystones, the Buffalo Bisons, the Mission Reds, the San Francisco Seals, and the Mission Reds. That's uh, so,
2: it a different franchise.
3: Oh, oh, the Mission. Oh, I see. I listed that twice, oh, I listed didn't I? Twice. <laughs> I? I think he went back to the Reds. I think that's okay. what I saw in his little biography there. But he was still a great player, even the minor leagues. Over 1,000 games, hit again. 320, 42 home runs. Absolutely. Um. Now, one career highlight I didn't really mention. In 1929, towards the end of his career, Chicken played next to Rabbit and Tweet in the lineup. Oh, Rabbit yeah. Whitman and Tweet Walsh.
2: That's awesome. Those, that's, that's great.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. And throughout the time, Nelson L. Hawks referred to himself in a third person, but yet everybody still called him Chicken, and I cannot find out why, and it's driving me crazy. It's,
2: it's just so... It's, it's so- it makes no sense. Like he hadn't no. done something chicken related. Um, and, and I just. Maybe he and, was oh, a chicken farmer growing up. Maybe. Maybe. Um, if, yeah. Although
3: chicken hawks. I don't know if there are any you know, bird fans out there. You know, bird lawyers, what have you. Uh, but that was apparently yeah. a big issue in the 1920s was chicken hawks. Number one, are they real? Do they actually exist? And number two. Some type of hawk called chicken hawk was coming down south and wreaking havoc on farmer's lands. Because every time I was <laughs> looking at chicken hawk, I kept getting these articles about chicken hawks decimating crops and things like that. Like, these, what's, what is happening? Are these hawks that just carry away chickens? Well, there are some pictures in these, these old papers, and they're just massive chicken looking like hawks um okay and apparently some people do get angry if you say chicken hawks are real what they found out so I have no idea it's all a it's mystery it, man it's
2: like like drop bears in in Australia uh yeah, yeah. okay so I'm, I'm looking at chicken hawks right now uh and, well I see the I see foghorn leghorn but uh these <laughs> they just kind of look like Hawks to me okay I, I, I'm not I'm not an ornithologist by any means
3: that's the word I was looking for bird fans ornithologists bird, bird
2: fans yeah um oh and and i did think uh so the other chicken that we had talked about was chicken wolf
3: chicken wolf that's chicken the name wolf was the yeah. one
2: who ate the chicken before the games now of the two nicknames which one rings rings cooler in to your ear i i i, I don't know wolf <sighs> and hawk
3: first of really all what what are the odds ones. that we have two chickens with last names of another animal <laughs> right that that yeah. in itself is fascinating For lack of a better word,
2: (laughs) are are, are you chicken,
3: Uh, chicken, wolf, or or team chicken, hawk? Strictly on name basis, I think uh, chicken, hawk's kind of cool too. Chicken the wolf is also kind of cool.
2: I I could flip a
3: coin, but for the sake, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go sentimental, I'm gonna go, uh, chicken, hawks here, just because I think at this moment. I really think there's a chance that at this moment, there's no one else on the planet that knows as much chicken hawk as I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think for this nope. brief shining instance, I am the expert on chicken hawks.
2: You know that that now we're going to get a, a DM on Twitter or on discord or an email or something that's like, actually I've, I've written uh, four four novels about, about and chicken I hawks. Would, and I would awesome. love, I encourage that please.
3: I want a, a mystery novel where chicken hawks and chicken wolf go solve mysteries together.
2: Oh, that sounds like the most confusing buddy cop movie of all time. <laughs> chicken chicken and chicken. Uh, the tale of two chickens. Gosh, okay. Uh wow. So that's Chicken Hawks. That's a good one. Um, well, uh if you liked what you listened to uh here today, uh please be sure to follow Short Hops and Tall Tales on Twitter at short hops Follow Brandon for more chicken-related humor at BD and, and myself at Noah A Scott Six, uh, and then please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Uh, it goes a long way to helping us connect with new uh, new audiences. But uh, wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Yes, you're right, Brandon. We have a special announcement today. Uh, do, would you like to do the the honors?
3: Sure. Uh, so PitcherList hosts a special event once a year called PitchCon in which some of the greatest minds in industry come out and talk about baseball and somehow we're a part of that. (laughs) (laughs) This next, (laughs) right? Somehow we we managed to get our foot in the door there and And we cheated our way in. (laughs) Yeah. So January 29th, that's a Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We will be on PitchCon live as a matter of fact, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So if you want to come down, listen to us, chat with us over the chat as we tell stories about this or that. I know what I'm talking about already, so I'm excited about
2: it. Is is there a third player named Chicken?
3: No. Um, (laughs) You can go look at Baseball Reference, type in Chicken, and you only see the two. I was kind of
2: disappointed in that so far. Maybe we can get a whole chicken coop, and it'll just be a great thing. I think we need to assign the nickname Chicken to a new player. Like we we need to find like. Maybe that's what we'll do at PitchCon. We'll, no, we'll, no. We'll just, what if we'll crowdsource Williams it Studios?
3: Then, the the chicken turtle. Bear with me. The chicken turtle. Because he's <laughs> he's gonna sign with another club. I hope so. Chicken turtle.
2: Chicken turtle. I like it. I like it. It's it's got got good visual uh simulation. And it
3: keeps the reference of a uh, two animal names and the nickname.
2: You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, we're gonna be be doing a live episode of Short Hops and Tall Tales uh, next Saturday. Um, so yeah, it's it's gonna be a great time. I know I know what or I know what I'm gonna be talking about, and we'll have some some good games and and some good discussion and, and interaction with the audience. Uh, so yeah, please please tune in. Uh, I know it's gonna be on Twitch, and I think it's also gonna be streamed on Periscope. Uh I am a little nervous though because now I can't edit out uh all of the uh and, and, and you know uh, you know like all the Don't you knows.
3: Because know. we're actually yeah. fr- we're both of us from Wisconsin, so we have don't yes. you knows like every paragraph and Noah does a great job editing that out, don't you know?
2: <laughs> or, or or when yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh but yeah, so so next week, please join us. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I know we're both really excited to mm-hmm. uh to, and we're kind of closing out PitchCon. I don't know if you saw that in the schedule but but we're one of the uh the last uh last oh. presentations. So we we get to end things with a bang We, which I we are the anti
3: doorkeepers. I assume. So
2: we're, we're doors. Uh, open yeah anyway (laughs) uh we're we're rapidly deteriorating here so i'm gonna i'm gonna close things off uh for brandon riddle uh and both chickens i'm noah scott and this has been the short hops and tall tales podcast see you next time